the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. And welcome to the show. If you just tuned in right now, we have as our guest today, John Benison, manager of the Equal Employment Opportunity Consulting Group for the Federal Aviation Administration's Office of Civil Rights. And we are so excited to have him with us because I want to tell you he's really working hard to try to improve the employment of people with disabilities in his part of the federal government. John, welcome to the show. Joyce, thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here today. Well, John, you know what I like about having someone like you want is you're really doing something about it. You're trying to make something happen, and I have to give you so much credit for that. But before we get going, I wanted you to first tell our listeners, and by the way, all of you listening, as you know, this is heard throughout the world, my office for Bender Consulting Services is in, guess where, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, (laughs) primary day. A major day up there in Pennsylvania. Oh, it is. Every news station you can imagine is in Pennsylvania. Uh, So I have to say something, and that is what I say on every show. If you are registered to vote, I do not care if you are a Republican or a Democrat. I care that you vote. Remember Justin Dart, who said, vote as if your life depends upon it, because it does? Vote. Don't sit at home. Vote. And I'll be telling you that all year right through our presidential election. Okay, so, John, how about telling our listeners how you first became involved in the disability community and what caused you to decide to be an advocate for civil rights? Well, uh, Joyce, as you know, I am legally blind, and I have been since birth, so... Uh, I have, as a result of my vision disability, I've faced my um, share of both physical and attitudinal barriers throughout my life. You know, starting as in, in early childhood, my parents encountered teachers that didn't want to teach me because I had a vision disability and, and essentially told my parents I was unteachable. Uh, thankfully, I had wonderful parents who advocated for me and fought with the public school system where I grew up and insisted that I get the education that I was entitled to. Uh, you know, when I started applying to colleges, I had some college admissions officers tell me, we don't want to admit you to our school because we're worried about your self-esteem when you fail out of our school. And, of course, you should know that at the time I was an honor roll student at a prep school when they were telling me this. Uh, you know, when I first entered into the workforce, I encountered some barriers in that employers didn't want to or didn't know how to provide the accommodations that I needed so that I could be successful in my job. So I myself faced some very serious attitudinal and physical barriers as a result of my disability. And then as I uh, became more involved in the disability community, both in college and in the workforce, I saw that other individuals, whether they be deaf or whether they use a wheelchair 
or any other kind of disability, they were encountering some of the same types of barriers. You know, imagine I knew some uh, friends in the workforce who were deaf who couldn't get a meeting with their boss because they couldn't get a uh, sign language interpreter scheduled, or an individual who used a wheelchair who couldn't go to training because the training wasn't being held in an accessible location. I found that very personally frustrating and, and upsetting, and it, and it caused me to want to become an advocate for people with disabilities because of my own personal experiences and because of the experiences I witnessed of others. And I felt like if I could make a difference in the lives of people with disabilities, that would be a good thing, and that's how I, I became interested in this field. Wow. You know, when you hear these stories, you would think they're so, so long ago, and they're not. That's what is the really scary part of all of this. Well, John, we're glad that you did become an advocate because we need all the help that we can get in this country to change the way people think about the employment of Americans with disabilities. But we do have a question for you here from Michigan, from an email or Lindsay, saying, uh, first of all, I want to thank you, Mr. Benison, for what you're doing at the FAA. We need to see more agencies step up and help people with disabilities move forward. My question for you is, since you work in the area of civil rights and you are an advocate, what would you say were your biggest barriers to moving into a role as an advocate who is respected by others? I think the greatest barrier that I faced, and I, and I, I mentioned it a little bit in my first answer, uh, the greatest barrier that I faced has been attitudinal. I, I have to always overcome people's assumptions that I can't do something. Uh, you know, that, that for some, some reason I wouldn't be qualified or able to do the job. I feel that throughout my career I've really had to work hard to prove myself in spite of my vision disability. Uh, but once I, once managers and hiring officials in the federal government started working with me and saw that really all I needed to be successful was some assistive technology. I needed to use ZoomText to enlarge what was on my screen and to have a, a voice output mechanism on my computer. Once I had the tools I needed in place that I would work really hard and that I could be successful in my job. So it was really simply a matter of doing the, doing the hard work that was needed for the agencies that I've, that I've been employed at and uh, making sure that I was able to advocate for myself and let them know what my accommodation needs were so that they could be put in place and I could be successful in my job. Well, that, that is, and it is an attitudinal barrier. It is. I agree with you. 100%. That's the barrier that must come down. Looking at people and judging them by their appearance and or their disability as to what they can or cannot do, this has to go. Um, John, the FAA, Federal Aviation Administration, could you tell our listeners how large it is and how many employees you have at the agency? Yes, we are a very large agency. We have approximately 45,000 employees who are dedicated to ensuring that we have the safest, most efficient aerospace transportation system worldwide. So we are a very large federal agency. We've got lots of great employees. And what's really just wonderful about working at FAA is the employees of FAA are dedicated. We all know what our mission is, and we all know that we have a part in fulfilling our mission, and everyone's dedicated to achieving that mission. And, you know, I know um, there are all types of positions that you can have when you work for the 
FAA, but sometimes I've noticed when I talk to people, I don't know, maybe they think everyone's an air traffic controller, but they don't seem to understand there's so many varied and different types of roles that you could move into. I wondered if you could go over a few of those. Sure. Well, as you mentioned, Joyce, air traffic controllers are are the positions that probably most of your listeners have heard about most frequently. And, of course, our air traffic controllers are responsible for managing the orderly flow of aircraft traffic, managing it in a way that it is completely safe and efficient and expeditious. And they manage the flow of our traffic both on the ground and in the air, aircraft traffic on, on the ground and in the air. Uh, and we also have a couple of other major job occupations in the Federal Aviation Administration, those being the aviation safety inspectors who are responsible for investigating and enforcing the safety requirements with regard to aircraft. And, of course, we have air transportation system specialists, and these are the individuals that support all of the systems that are needed to manage the aerospace transportation system. You know, for example, the systems like communication systems and radar systems, even the lights at the airport, the uh, air transportation system specialists are responsible for supporting and managing that technology in those systems. But, of course, in addition to the aerospace uh, positions that we have at the FAA, we have a lot of the traditional uh, job occupations that you would find at any federal agency. We have attorney positions in our legal office. We have human resource specialist positions. We have finance positions in our accounting office. We have, uh, of course, administrative support positions. And in my office, in the Office of Civil Rights, we have equal employment opportunity specialist positions. So we've got a wide variety of jobs at the FAA, and we really seek to become a model employer for people with disabilities. So those listeners with disabilities who are interested in working at the FAA, I really encourage them to go to www.jobs.faa.gov and learn more about the types of jobs that we have at FAA. There, there, there are many great opportunities, and it's a, and I can tell you, I've been working at the FAA since last May, and I couldn't be happier. It's a wonderful organization to work in. Well, that's great, and I am also happy to hear that. But why I wanted you to go over that is, you know, when people think about the FAA or other organizations, they don't realize how many varied positions they are. And, and you know, I want to just say, now is a good time to be looking at these positions because we baby boomers who are retiring, are really going to have an impact on the federal agencies. You know, there's a large number of people retiring. That means there's going to be a labor shortage. This is an opportunity for everyone, but specifically people who have been left out, such as Americans with disabilities, to really take advantage of that opportunity, you know, apply for these positions, uh, you never know what's going to happen. As I said, there are so many different positions there. And, John, one more time, would you mind telling everyone how they apply if they're interested in the FAA? Sure. If they're interested in working at the FAA, they can go to www.faa. I mean, sorry, excuse me, www.jobs.faa.gov www.jobs.faa.gov. And I'd also like to mention, if I could, that 
with regard to the air traffic controller positions, a lot of people think that they have to have a background in aviation to work in air traffic control. That, in fact, is not the case. There's, uh, there are some basic qualifications that individuals have to meet, for example, a four-year degree or an equivalent of work experience and, and education combined, uh, and there are some age limitations, and you, you have to go through some testing and medical exam and that sort of thing, but you don't need a background in aviation to become an air traffic controller. So someone interested in launching a new career should really check out this website because we are doing a a lot of uh, recruitment and hiring in the air traffic control arena right now. All across the country. That's correct. So once again, I'm pointing that out because a lot of people not familiar with the federal government, they assume every position you have is in Washington, D.C. Oh, no, we have have jobs all over the country. Yeah, and, and that's what I mean. Don't, don't be thinking that because they have positions everywhere. That's why you need to go look at that website, check out the positions. Who knows? You may be our next air traffic controller. But right now we're going to go to break. If you just tuned in, we have as our guest today John Benison, manager of the Equal Employment Opportunity Consulting Group for the FAA's Office of Civil Rights. You are listening to America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Have you ever thought about having your own Internet talk show? Well, if you said yes, then click About Us. Then click Be a Host to get more information. Or just call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417. Say that again. 480-294-6417. VoiceAmerica.com. Mom? Dad? How long should I wait for you? Mom? If I'm at soccer practice, what if something happens? Will you come get me? There's no reason not to have a plan in case of a terrorist attack. Mom, if you're not home, should we go to the neighbor's house? And some extremely good reasons why you should. Can you tell me? Everybody should have a plan. Take five minutes to talk about where you'll meet and how you'll get in touch with each other in an emergency. For other things you can do to be prepared, visit www.ready.gov. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Homeland Security and the Ad Council. I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition, and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. And welcome back to this show. And thank you, thank you to all of our listeners. You, listen to me, you are helping me change America. You are, for people with disabilities, you are helping provide quality of life for Americans with disabilities by how supportive you are being. Spread the news. I always tell people now, listen, 
We're not waiting anymore. We have to be the change. It's time for us. You know, I'm a woman with epilepsy and a hearing loss, and you know, I know what disability is. And I'm saying it. We want equal treatment, period. And with that, John, our wonderful guest, who really is trying to do as much as he possibly can at the FAA to increase the employment of people with disabilities. John Benison, who is the manager of Equal Employment Opportunity Consulting Group for the FAA's Office of Civil Rights. I wanted to ask you, uh, John, as you well know, not just you, but everyone at any of the federal agencies, we currently have the lowest percentage of employees with targeted disabilities working in the federal government today, which is so terrible. I want to ask you, why do you think that is? You know, I think it comes down to two words. It comes down to attitude and accountability. We've been talking earlier in the, in the broadcast about attitudinal barriers, and that is the largest and most significant barrier that people with targeted disabilities face to finding employment in the federal government. I, I just think that there are managers and hiring officials out there that don't understand that this is a huge pool of untapped talent, and for some reason the belief is that these individuals are not capable of doing the job, when in fact they're very capable, they're more than capable, and they're ready, willing, and able to work. But these managers and hiring officials have not been exposed to many people with disabilities, so they haven't seen their talents firsthand. So what I think needs to happen, what we need to see is greater accountability in the federal government. The leaders of federal agencies really need to hold their management core responsible for and accountable for recruiting and hiring people with targeted disabilities. This is the only group for which we can have a mandate for hiring, so we really need to enforce those mandates. You know, I'm a manager in the federal government, and I have an equal employment opportunity requirement in my performance standards, and all federal managers do have the same requirement. At performance time, we need to be asking our managers and supervisors, what are you doing to recruit and hire people with targeted disabilities? Uh, You know, we need to also make the business case to managers and supervisors. People with targeted disabilities can be hired non-competitively. You know, I go through a lot of, I've been through the hiring process many times, and it can be quite lengthy in the federal government. So if we are selling to managers that, hey, this is a great way to hire a really talented person quickly, I believe that we will start to get more people on board. But the attitudinal barrier is not going to be broken down until we have more people with targeted disabilities on board so that the managers and hiring officials can see the talent that's out there. Uh, yes, I agree. And when I started Bender Consulting Services 13 years ago, I chose to focus on the employment of Americans with significant disabilities. Of course, I had no idea this is the same meaning as targeted disabilities in the federal government, but if you don't know what we're talking about, we're meaning people who are blind or deaf or have epilepsy, people in wheelchairs, psychiatric disabilities, etc. People with targeted or significant disabilities is what we're talking about. So you know this. The more significant the disability, the harder it is for the person to gain employment. Even if they're brilliant, even if they're a superstar, until they're hired. You know, I always tell people, are we all forgetting 
that one of the greatest presidents of the United States was in a wheelchair. Are we forgetting that? Yeah, try to imagine that today, John, if we would say, oh, and here's our candidate, and he, and he or she is in a wheelchair. That's right. Franklin Delano Roosevelt with polio. But, you know, people just don't think about that. You know, I always tell people, so what? You know, if they're non-disabled, I'll say to them, especially if we're at a conference room, I'll say, you're sitting in a chair right now. Does that mean you can't do the job? And in the same way, you know, it's hard for me to believe that you could climb Mount Everest if you're a person who is blind, but you can't work as an entry-level accountant. Something's wrong with this thinking. You know, we really, it really is this attitudinal barrier that's got to come down. It really is. But, John, I know that EEOC Commissioner Christine Griffin is leading the charge and the effort to increase the employment of Americans with targeted disabilities in the federal government. My question to you is, do you think if a federal agency, one agency, hires a substantial number of people with targeted disabilities, do you think it would impact others? Oh, I definitely think it would impact others because that agency could then become a model for the rest of the federal government. If there's an agency that's being successful in attracting people with disabilities, they can they can talk about and, and share with other federal agencies how they recruited and attracted individuals with targeted disabilities or, as you said, individuals with severe disabilities. And I'm, I, I'm so glad you provided that clarification because I know sometimes as a federal employee, I can speak in federal terms, and I want to make sure all your listeners uh, know what we're, what we're talking about today. Uh, but I, I definitely think that, uh, that an agency that's doing a great job at this could serve as a model because the employees with disabilities or targeted disabilities that are hired at that agency could speak about their experiences, how they've been successful, how their accommodations were put in place, and the managers, the supervisors, the uh, leaders of the agency could speak to the success of the employees with disabilities at that agency and how hard these people are willing to work and the dedication that they've shown and that sort of thing. You know, I'm sure you're aware there are many studies that have indicated that, you know, people with uh, disabilities, people with targeted disabilities tend to stay with an organization longer. They tend to be more loyal to an organization. They'll, they, you know, have shown to have greater performance, been received greater performance ratings, and take less sick leave and really be on the job and be more productive. And I think that managers and hiring officials at an agency that did a good job with hiring could speak to those successes. Uh, and personally, I'm really hoping that FAA will become that agency, that we can really be a – we truly seek to become a model employer for people with disabilities, and uh, we want to be out there showcasing the great work that we're going to be doing. Well, that would be awesome, and I do believe – that if one does it, and if maybe we work, you know, with senators and congressmen and uh, and the White House to really showcase what one federal agency is doing, I believe it will catch on fire. See, the key thing, you can't see the benefits of hiring people with disabilities until you hire them. You, know, you can argue the point forever about why they can't do the job. If you don't hire them, you'll never know. And I, for one, can tell you 
Bender is in 17 states, two provinces of Canada. We've hired over 350 people with significant disabilities. They are doing it in competitive employment very successfully. They can do it, but you have to be willing to open your eyes. A question for you from a college student in New York. Uh, Mr. Benison, do you think one of the reasons that people with disabilities aren't being hired is that because they have a disability, do you believe they assume they are mentally inferior? Hmm. I think that there probably are some people that make that assumption. I think that, again, it goes back to those attitudinal barriers and the lack of exposure to people with disabilities. I mean, I I definitely know that that was the – I had that firsthand experience, not so much in the workplace, but as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, you know, uh, I remember one of my very first college interviews. You know, here my parents and I are there going through the interview. We have my transcripts. I'm an honor roll student at a prep school. And the college interviewer, the admissions interviewer, was saying, we're not going to admit you. We'd, we'd be too worried about your self-esteem when you failed out of our school. Now, what would, you know, with the strong SAT scores, honor roll student at a prep school, what would make that individual think that I would fail out of their school? Uh, you know, they, he's just saying, essentially he was saying, well, your vision, it's going to be too difficult for you to succeed here. And, uh, you know, that is just astounding to me given that I had, you know, I clearly had the credentials to go to their school. Um, and I want to I say, fortunately, I was very, I found a school, I found uh, the George Washington University here in Washington, D.C., which, you know, admitted me and provided wonderful support to me in terms of accommodations and was just a great school. And, and fortunately, didn't, that those attitudinal barriers didn't exist there. But I do think that that is a problem, and that's why we've got to continue to educate people in the education systems, in, in you know, in public school systems, in private schools, in the higher education system, and in the in the workforce, we absolutely need to educate people that having a disability does not mean that you are not able to be successful. It does not mean that you're not able to do the job, because you know all a person with a disability might need is some sort of simple accommodation to be successful in the job. And as we know, those accommodations usually cost very little amount of money, and they're a great investment in your people. It's a great investment in the people that will make up your workforce. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, John, because as John mentioned, your perception, I should say misperception, of what you think about the cost of accommodations. Uh, Accommodations in the United States, the average cost is like $500, and I assure you, that through the state or the federal government, the accommodations can be provided. But in the case of the federal government, they are provided at the Department of Defense through, through the CAP program. Through the CAP program, right. They do provide the accommodations, so you don't need to worry about that part. I always tell people, wouldn't that be great if you could go to the private sector and say, oh, don't worry about accommodations, it's all paid for by this other group. So the question is, why would you not jump on that? That's right. That, that is where the attitudinal barrier part that John was talking about, unfortunately, comes back. But once again, I say I give credit to the FAA for standing up saying, we would like to be the role model. That is awesome because, truthfully, 
other than the National Security Agency, no one has made a concerted effort to, to the degree they have to employ people with targeted disabilities. And it's so great to see the FAA wanting to be the federal agency that could make that change. That, that would just be tremendous. But right now we've got to go to break for a minute. If you just joined us, our guest today is John Benison, manager of the Equal Employment Opportunity Consulting Group of the Federal Aviation Administration's Office of Civil Rights. A man trying to lead the charge and the change, and a big change it would be. You're listening to Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters on voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back with John and the FAA. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition, and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. Over there, over there's the water. Whoosh, whoosh. And look at all this stuff I'm standing on. It's called sand, and it's everywhere. This woman may sound silly to you and me. It's made up of little tiny pieces of rocks. Teeny little pieces of rocks. But to her two-year-old son exploring the world around him, (laughs) she makes perfect sense. How does it feel when you touch the sand? Is it warm? Uh Uh-huh. It's hard to hold in your hand, isn't it? Uh Uh-huh. Learning starts long before school does, and children are naturally curious. They want to learn, so follow their lead. Take simple, everyday moments, like sorting laundry or playing on the beach, and turn them into learning moments. Is this water? No. Very good. This is sand. Oh, (laughs) no, no, it's not food. It's sand. We don't eat sand. Turn everyday moments into learning moments. Find out how at bornlearning.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now, please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender. And welcome back to the show. Our guest today is John Benison, manager of the Equal Employment Opportunity Consulting Group for the Federal Aviation Administration's Office of Civil Rights, a true champion for the employment of Americans with disabilities. John, you were talking earlier about uh, your disability of being legally blind. A question that I have for you is people who are blind today, uh, with, which would be people with targeted disabilities, have an extremely high unemployment rate. Uh, 
extremely high. You know, there are various disabilities where percentage-wise it's really high. And I might add to that, the one disability where people talk about making a phone call, applying for a job, they're interested until they meet them and see they're blind or they tell them they're blind. Then all Mm -hmm. of a sudden, you know, this job goes away. Why do you think it is so high for people uh, from the blind community? You know, I, that, that is, that is a, a difficult question, and it's amazing to me that, that the unemployment rate is so high among people that are blind or visually impaired. I, you know, I know, obviously, a lot of people that have vision disabilities, and I know some extremely talented people who've risen to great levels of success in the, in the federal government. I know an attorney at the State Department. I know attorneys at Department of Justice and EEOC, all of whom are blind or visually impaired and who are doing very well. And, you know, I have heard people say, well, I don't know that I could hire a supervisor who's blind or visually impaired. And speaking as a supervisor who's legally blind, who has a vision vision disability, um, I think my staff would tell you I do a, a good job of supervising them, a great job of supervising them, because I don't need to be able to see them well to supervise them. In fact, at one point I had three staff who didn't work here at headquarters but who worked out in the regional locations and, you know, much of my supervision was through email and phone communication. And the most important thing that I have to do is make sure that they're doing their work, that we're getting the work done that we're responsible for. And you don't obviously need to see someone on a daily basis in order to do that. It's about using the communication tools that are available to you. Um, you know, with regard to assistive technology, sometimes uh, a manager or supervisor might say, well, how is this person going to review documents? How are they going to uh, get the work done that we need to do in terms of editing? And I think, wow, you know, they just don't know about the technology that's out there. I've been using ZoomText for years, and before that I was using JAWS. And, you know, I can't tell you the number of documents that I have to edit that my staff prepares. And, of course, I have to edit my own work before sending it to my uh, supervisor. Um, and using the assistive technology has made that so much easier for me, and I'm able to do it quite successfully. I was, uh, you know, one of my staff people was joking with me about using email, how they're always getting emails from me with new assignments and that sort of things, and sometimes they wish I didn't have a laptop because even late at night at home I'll go on and check email and they'll be getting new assignments. And, uh, you know, I really think that what we need to do is educate people that there's technology out there that can make, that does make uh, people that are blind or visually impaired very employable. And uh, there's some really skilled people who really want to work, who are just truly looking to be productive members of society and who want to work. And so the opportunities need to be presented. Yes, and as you have clearly pointed out, uh, John, uh, when you were explaining all this, with assistive technology today, it has equaled the playing field. I mean, I have employees who uh, are, like you, in white-collar positions, but doing work such as um, applications architect in the, you know, in the area in, of IT, uh, you know, software developer, all, all of these type of positions, uh, database administrator, Oracle database administrator. Remember, with assistive technology today, it equals the playing field for people who are blind. But I don't know, do you think it's partly that people don't know that about assistive technology? I mean, what do you think it is? I think it, I think it is that people don't know about the assistive technology, and again, it comes back to that attitude. They see someone who uses a cane or uses a dog for assistance, and they think, oh, I just, all these 
fears and thoughts go through their head. I mean, I can tell you, uh, and throughout my federal career working in civil rights at various agencies, people will say, oh, I just don't know how this person is going to get around the building. You know, they use a dog. Well, you know, I say to them, well, these individuals have been trained with mobility trainers. They've been trained on how to use the dog. They're, they're, and, and I said, don't be afraid to ask them questions about, you know, how will, how will they succeed in the job. And they'll tell you quite simply that they'll be, they'll tell you what they need in terms of their accommodations and that they can be, uh, successful. So I, I think it, it really is a lack of understanding about the technology that's available and a lack of understanding of how people have had to learn how to function and use their accommodations so that they can be successful. Yes, and, you know, one of my, uh, I have, you know, several managers in the company, vendor consulting services, but two of the people are people who are blind. Uh, actually, they both have a service animal that they use, and they one uses ZoomTech, the other person uses JAWS. But let me tell you, you know, you were talking about how are they going to get around here, how are they going to walk around this building? Uh-huh. Here I am with, with Jim Homie, a manager in our company, an expert in JAWS. He is phenomenal in JAWS and in assistive technology, you know, when companies need help in that area. And um, one time years ago, I'm with Jim in downtown Pittsburgh. There we are walking down the street, and then I have to tell him the bad news. Jim... I don't know. I don't remember how to get there. And he said, oh, that's okay. Take 15 steps and go to this McDonald's. Then make a right and go, you know, this many steps. Then go over here and make a left. And I said, oh, Jim, that's awesome. I'm glad that you knew how to get there. And that's when he looked at me and said, remember, never trust a sighted person for directions. (laughs) And to this day, Jim teases me about that, and he'll call me and say, hey, when you go to D.C., are you going to have your GPS system? But I want to tell you something, you know, what you're thinking out there. You know, when I'm with Jim and my employees, I don't even realize they're blind. I don't. Sometimes I'll be with them, and I'll be talking about something outside, and I'll say, look at that. It's because they are so phenomenally productive. And see, that's what you'll find out. What you're thinking is way off. What you're thinking is wrong. You think a person who is blind is weak or incapacitated and can't do the job, and you are so far off. You are so wrong. And remember you said about traveling? Do you know that I still have companies that say to me, well, Joyce, we would hire one of your uh, employees, but, you know, they would have to travel. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Get over it. People with disabilities can travel. They can get on airplanes and trains just the way you do. They have a dog or maybe in a wheelchair, but they all travel. You know, again, this is a combination of lack of understanding combined with, in my opinion, an incorrect attitude. But uh, I'm sure that you dealt with that your entire life, but... Here's a question for you, John, from Kansas, uh, from Mary. And the question is, how do you deal with people that do not want to include people who are blind with other groups of people, especially when they're young? I am referring to isolating young people who are blind from others. Oh, that's, that, is a, I, I, that is a terrible situation, and I don't... Um... 
agree with that or like that at all. I mean, you know, I was very fortunate as a young person in that I had my parents, I mentioned earlier in the show, did a great job of advocating for me. And I also have a brother who is legally blind, and they advocated for both of us really well and ensured that we were mainstreamed into the public school system and not isolated. Of course, we had the assistance of vision teachers outside of the classroom a couple of days a week, but we were in the classroom, and that's so important. I I don't understand this idea that, oh, if we separate um, students who have disabilities, students who are blind from other students, that they're going to get a better education. They just need to be given the accommodations that, that are required in the classroom. The teachers need to be educated on how to work with these students and they need to be given an opportunity to succeed. I think that they need to be exposed to other children or other young people uh, so because that's what's going to happen when they, when they finish their education, when they finish college in the workplace. It's not going to be working, about other, all, working only with people who are blind or visually impaired. We need to all be able to mix and communicate with one another. Yes, and I'll tell you that is terrible when they isolate people because you're really bullying, you're doing relational bullying, you're excluding, everything about it is wrong. What you need to do if you have a child with a disability is, you know what, if you have certain people that don't want them included, friends, get new friends. Those aren't right. friends. Get new people, you, you know, whether it's your church, synagogue, mosque, I don't care where it is. Get out there, go to events, go to community events, meet new people. You don't want to be around those people. That I can tell you for sure. And, John, I am very, very excited and honored that I will be speaking at your conference this year. I wondered if you could tell the listeners about the FAA National People with Targeted Disabilities Conference. I would love to, Joyce. Thank you. And first of all, we are so honored that you are going to be serving as our opening keynote speaker at our National People with Targeted Disabilities Conference on May 28th in Washington, D.C. And, you know, I've had the great privilege of being in the audience at a couple of your speeches, and you are just such a fantastic, motivational, and inspirational speaker. I couldn't think of a better way to open our conference than to have you serving as our keynote speaker. So I want to thank you and just tell you how thrilled I am that you're going to be speaking at our conference. No, it's my honor. Thank you. And uh, this is, we're really excited about this conference. Uh, we have put together, we believe, a great program. And I want to say at the outset that the goal of the conference is we're actually going to put our conference attendees to work a little bit for us at the FAA because our goal is to walk away from this conference with two or three good strategies that we can implement over the next year to increase hiring of people with targeted disabilities at the FAA. We're going to start our program on the first day with your speech, and we're also going to have Christine Griffin, who you mentioned earlier from the EEOC, talk about the LEAD program, which is her federal initiative to increase employment opportunities for people with targeted disabilities. Uh, we're going to have uh, the – we're going to have um, – a whole bunch. Of, we're going to have a spe- we're going to have a speaker on reasonable accommodation. I'm here. Well, hold on too. one minute, and we'll let you finish because this is such an exciting thing. As soon as we come back from break, we'll finish talking about the conference, the speakers, and how you can attend. But right now, we're going to break. If you just joined us, we are talking to John Benison from the FAA's Office of Civil Rights Justice. 
for all. This is Joyce Bender on VoiceAmerica.com. We'll be back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition, and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. In the great scheme of things, a minute isn't all that much, unless you happen to have a stroke. All of a sudden, those minutes count. Minutes that could mean losing your ability to talk, move, or walk. Which is why, if you can get help in time, your stroke can be treated. The warning signs of a stroke include sudden numbness or weakness of the face. If you experience this, call 911 immediately. Visit strokeassociation.org or call 1-888-4-STROKE today. A public service announcement from the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. VoiceAmerica.com if you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now, please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender. Welcome back to the show, and we're talking to John Benison, the manager of the Equal Employment Opportunity Consulting Group for the FAA's Office of Civil Rights. Right before we went to break there, uh, we were talking to John about the FAA National People with Targeted Disabilities Conference, which I am going to be speaking at, and United States EEOC Commissioner Christine Griffin is. Uh, and John was stating how he's going to put people to work, which I think this is fantastic, so that you, they could come up with some strategies they could use to uh, implement the you know, goals to, in, for the employment of people with disabilities. Uh, and, John, I wanted to ask you two things. First, is there... Anything, the, what day is the conference again? The conference is May 28th and 29th here in Washington, D.C. at the Holiday Inn in, on C Street in southwest Washington. Okay. And uh, interested uh, individuals who'd like to uh, learn more about the conference and participate can go to our website. It's www.faa.gov slash ACR www.faa.gov slash ACR. And what are the qualifications to attend? What I mean by that, is it only for employees of the federal government? Primarily, we would like our target audience is managers and hiring officials of the Federal Aviation Administration as well as other federal agencies because the concepts and strategies that we develop at this conference certainly could be used by other federal agencies so that this whole movement of hiring people with targeted disabilities can grow and those from other federal agencies that attend can take the concepts and some of the strategies that we've developed at this conference and take them back to their own agencies. Uh, we also invite civil rights and human resource professionals from, of course, the Federal Aviation Administration as well as other federal agencies to attend the conference. 
And, and you know why that is so awesome is just think, if other people attended and then you came up with this strategy, wow, wouldn't that be a great thing? You know, a strategy that works, that would be awesome. It would be fantastic. Yeah, so and, and let me time. mention one really important yes. thing. The conference is free. <laughs> no charge for anybody to attend. I mean, of course, if they're coming from out of town, they'd have to cover their own travel costs, but there's no registration fee. It's a free conference uh, here in Washington, D.C. Wow. Did you hear that part, everyone? No charge. <laughs> what, is it? what is that website again? It's www.faa.gov forward slash ACR. All right, I expect to see you there. I expect to have someone coming up to me saying, hey, I heard you when you talked to John on your radio show. I expect to see you. So if you're listening to the show, tell other people at other agencies about this gift, no cost, for this conference. I think that is phenomenal. Uh, John, I wanted to ask you, as I mentioned to you, a few of the presidential candidates are probably going to be on my radio show. And I wanted to know, do you think that will help us if for the first time the presidential candidates talk about people with significant disabilities in their platform? Yes, that would, because that would bring the issue to the, to the national agenda. It would then really put this issue on the national agenda, and it would be so important. I mean, there is a huge portion of the American population that has severe disabilities or that has targeted disabilities, that have targeted disabilities. And, you know, we really need to address a very serious issue, the, the, very, the extremely high unemployment rate of people with severe disabilities. And I believe if the presidential candidates talk about this leading up to the general election, that it really will help to raise awareness and hopefully will improve the situation. I mean, I think we can all acknowledge right now that uh, the economy is in a bit of a tough place. And if we start to see increased employment of people with severe disabilities, people with targeted disabilities, that certainly will be one step in helping to improve that particular situation. But I really believe our national leaders, if they're, if they're talking about this, that would, be, that would really help the issue a lot. And, you know, we have seen... Uh, the issue come to the spotlight more through uh, the president's new freedom initiative, and we'd like to see that continue in the in the campaign and in uh, whomever serving as the next president to really continue to um, bring this issue to the forefront. Oh, I agree. I really agree. And listen, if you're listening to the show here in Pennsylvania, is the Pennsylvania primary. But no matter where you are, if your primary is coming up in the next month or two, and you're registered to vote, vote. Remember, I don't care if you vote as a Republican or a Democrat. I care that you vote. Why? There's 54 million Americans with disabilities. If we can just get a small group of that percentage, a small group of that number to get out and vote and be registered to vote, think of the impact. Think of the impact. I did have one sad thing I have to tell you, John. I was at um, a voting facility early this morning, and I saw a young man who is uh, blind voting Mm -hmm. with his uh, family, and they walked in with him, walked into the thing, and helped him vote. His family went in to help him? Yes. 
because he couldn't. They didn't have the technology so that he could vote on his own. I'm not understanding if they didn't have the technology, or if people don't know to ask. You know, f- for headphones or whatever it is. I don't know. Right. But you know, you should be able to vote with the Help America Vote Act. You have a right as a person with a disability to be able to vote. So I don't know, but I assure you, I will find out. Well, John, you have received so many awards, so many accomplishments, uh, including marathons. You've done so much, running marathons, you know, all the other work you've done. I I ask these last two questions to everyone, everyone that's ever been on the show. And that is, in your life up to this point, what do you consider as your greatest accomplishment? Oh, that's a great question, and thank you for it. I, you know, I have been so blessed in my life. I've had a great deal of both personal and professional success. Of course, I'm, I feel so fortunate to have a wonderful and supportive family and loving family and many great friends. And as you mentioned, I've run nine marathons successfully, and that's always as tough as they can be, it feels really great to to be able to complete a marathon, and the training is so exciting, and it, it helps it helps to keep me healthy as well. So that that really always feels good. And and you know, uh, I've been very fortunate in the federal government to rise through the ranks pretty quickly into management and served on the board of trustees at GW. And all these feel really good and feel like wonderful accomplishments. But I'll tell you, Joyce, that the most significant accomplishments to me are those ones where I can really make a positive difference in somebody else's life. You know, I think, and I hope I'm quoting correctly here, there's a Ralph Waldo Emerson poem on being a success, and one line of it is to say you know you're a success if you've positively impacted at least one other life on this earth, if you've influenced positively at least one other life on this earth. So I think back to my time at the Environmental Protection Agency uh, when I was serving as the National People with Disabilities Program Manager there. Uh, when I first took that, that position, there was a new program that EPA had launched to increase diversity in its workforce and to hopefully shape the management core of the future. And it was an elite program, and they hired 30 students right out of graduate school or right out of undergrad, and they went through an intense educational program at the EPA, and they took rotational assignments, and ultimately they went, would end up in a home base office, and hopefully they would continue to grow and become part of the management core of the future at EPA. Well, in that first year that I was there, when I arrived, I learned that in that program of 30 people hired, not one had a disability. There were, there were no individuals with disabilities hired into that program. So I worked really closely with the program director, and... I started what I called a grassroots uh, recruitment campaign, and we did direct mailings off the Workforce Recruitment Program database from the Department of Labor, and we uh, partnered with national disability organizations, and we really publicized this program in a major way. And we also, I also participated. I sat in on the selection panels, the interview panels, and I even met with managers because, you know, this is how I know these attitudinal barriers are real. I had managers asking me, well, how is this person, if I hire this person, the person has a great resume, but uh, he or she is blind. How are they going to do the job? This person has an excellent college transcript, but he's deaf. How is he going to be successful in the workplace? And I would talk to them about the different types of accommodations that were available, and I would help to reduce their fears. 
And I'm just so proud that at the end of that second year when the program was in place of 30 people hired, 10 were individuals with disabilities. Oh, that is awesome. To me, that just felt great. And that's what I hope that I can do at the FAA. I really, with my team, and I have an amazing uh, team of staff here who are truly dedicated to the Equal Employment Program and to advancing and ensuring that there are opportunities for women and minorities and people with disabilities. And, uh, you know, I really feel like that's that's the type of difference I want to make, and that feels like my most significant accomplishment where I've really made the difference in somebody else's life. Well, John, before you go, do you have a message you would like to leave with our listeners today? Yes, please attend our conference if you're a federal hiring official, and please work with us. If you're a leader in the disability community, please work to reduce those attitudinal barriers. That's the only way that we're going to increase employment opportunities for people with disabilities. All right, and I said it before on another show earlier this year. You'll probably hear me use it again, but you know what I said. Vote as if your life depends upon it because it does, said Justin Dart. Get out there and vote. Make it happen. Thank you, John, for being with us. My pleasure. And kudos to the FAA for the work you're doing. You're listening to Joyce Bender. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.